Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. I will be your host. Mark LaRocco is back with me. And back is the right term because we are back. It's been a little while. Mark, it has. how have you been? It's been a long while. I, I'm trying to think if this has been our longest, I don't know if the hiatus is the right word, but our, our longest gap. Yeah. Um, it's been about a month, hasn't it? I think so. Yeah. I think so. And, well, the funny thing is that I've actually seen you quite recently. That's right. Because a lot of a lot of what's been going on for the last month is very, very summer type stuff oriented. I I went out of town, you've been out of town a couple of times, and then the last time you went out of town, I went and met you out of town because you had a family reunion. I took some pictures out. That's right. You did a great fun. job uh, doing our family photos and we had yes, a, thank you. close to thirty there, and then you did some individual group you know, individual families. Family photos. So yeah, that was just uh, three nights ago, I guess. It was just a little while ago. Yeah. It's it's nice to be able to hang out in person. I mean, Zoom. I don't know if any if anybody doesn't know this already. We typically record our podcast through Zoom, mm-hmm. and so we are not sitting in a studio. I am in my basement office, and you also are in your basement office, aren't you? Yeah, I am, and I I'm actually. I'm thinking we haven't done any. Have we done any podcast in person? I don't think we've not yet. We've done one yet. We need to do that. We need to. We'll maybe what we'll do is do it and then just not say anything about it and see if people notice a difference. <laughs> okay. Or maybe not. I don't know. It's, it <laughs> might not. It might be completely irrelevant. But anyway, um, so yeah, so lots of lots of summer travel and stuff. A little bit of movie stuff mixed in there. Um, I was in Oregon last week. And while in Oregon, I dropped by the Goonies house. Mm. I went to, uh, yeah, I spent some time in Astoria. And I went to the Goonies house. And I went to the school where they filmed Kindergarten Cop. And I went down to a state park on the Oregon coast where they also did um, more Goonies stuff. And more Kindergarten Cop stuff. And some Point Break stuff. Oh yeah, man! Astoria. Which I didn't recognize because I've never seen Point Break yet. I still haven't seen Point Break. I haven't either. I'm kind of surprised you haven't seen it. Well, it's probably two guys our age who like movies. It's not too common that you're going to find two guys who haven't seen that movie. Right. I think. I think. Although, in a way, I feel like I have seen it because, as I understand it, The Fast and Furious is just kind of a street racing remake of the point break story Mm. like very very closely but uh yeah so so in your travels because i know you've been out of town several times did you go did you find any movie sites that can be relevant for discussion on the utah film pod well let's see um you know it's funny you say that because we watched indiana jones and the last crusade on our reunion this past week about four or five days ago and nice or no i guess it was the last night we were there it was it was monday night and we at the opening um which takes place in utah in 1912 oh yeah it looks like it's filmed in arches um yes now i didn't go there because we didn't plan ahead so we went to Canyonlands, which is easier to get (laughs) get into but we were within minutes of there because arches and Canyonlands are pretty close and and you could tell it looked i mean it has those beautiful rock formations you did see some arches yeah. you saw some of the 
right. the three priests or whatever they're called, some of those hoodoos, that they also mm-hmm. have a Bryce Canyon. And so, um, yeah, I mean, there's a movie connection there. My brother-in-law and I were both talking about it when we were watching that scene at the beginning of, uh, you know, The Last Crusade. Right. So that was a fun yeah, one. Yeah, uh, as I recall, because I did just rewatch the same movie a little while ago, they they go by Balanced Rock mm-hmm. and they That's go right. by uh, Double, Double Arch. Arch. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember because the other the other formation I think this is one you mentioned. I can't remember if it's called the Three Gossips or the Three Sisters. Oh, I think it's the because, Three Sisters. Because one of them is in Arches and the other one is in Monument Valley, and I've seen both and I've photographed both, but I can't remember which one is which off the top of my head right now. Okay, so, the Three Sisters is in I, Monument Valley, okay. so okay. I wonder if so they used both loca- locations for that that scene. Uh, I'd be surprised if they did because everything else was very clearly in arches. Oh, okay. Yeah. Three. So I don't think, I mean, Monument Valley has been used in a ton of movies. We could, we could spend an episode or two talking about that sometime. Mm -hmm. And we may have to, because we're getting towards the end of summer, which means the movie releases are drying up and we're going to get into fall. So, so we might, uh, we might have to get creative here to find something fun to talk about. Yeah. Well, uh, now now that we're back on the wagon. Oh, I think you're right. The three gossips. Okay. Yeah, I I um so we, we will have a lot. I mean, I, I think we'll have a lot to talk about because there's several bigger movies that are have very recently come out that we just have not right. seen yet. Um and it One sounds like, sounds like you're, today. we're delaying the suspense a little bit about today's topic. Oh, um, there's there's no need because we're going to wind up naming it according to the movie anyway. That's right. So yeah. if anybody reads the name of the episode, um, you know. But so this is this is going to be the Mission Impossible episode. That's right. But but yeah, there are there are some other big ones. Probably the last big ones of the summer that have uh, come out recently. Mm-hmm. But I believe neither of us have seen. Yes. Uh, yeah. So as of this, yeah, there's this conversation. It's Barbenheimer. Um, yes. Which is yes. the the meme-worthy name of two hit movies, uh, Barbie, which and otherwise would have nothing to do with each other. Right. Which kind of makes it even more fun because they almost couldn't so. be more different. And uh, anyway. Another one is The Sound of Freedom, or it's, actually it's just called Sound of Freedom, which is from Angel Studios and has been kind of a huge sleeper hit. Um, right, right. Uh, and then, yeah, so there's a few of those movies, but another thing that's been going on in the world of movies is the writer's strike and the actor's strike, yes. screen actor's guild yeah. and writer's guild. Um, a one-two punch yes, and, of movie creativity people. Right. And it's kind of a big deal because from what I've been reading, uh, when I, whenever I read about the strike, is it seems like it's not that close to being resolved. Like, mm. it's it could be shut down. I mean, it could shut down Hollywood for months. Um, and what they're generally striking over, there's a few things. One is residuals. Um, yeah. and, and actors have always relied on these. They've, they've pretty much been a part of the paychecks actors get and writers get for a long time. But with streaming, it's sort of confused the issue. It's been harder to measure streaming and how much, you know, they get paid per. Well, how, harder how, to measure, harder to measure because the streaming 
people aren't giving up the numbers, right? right? I mean, isn't that kind of the problem is that like Netflix or whoever won't actually say how many people have watched, you know, Stranger Things or whatever. And so, and and maybe, I don't know, maybe we should clarify, maybe just so I make sure that I understand this. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about residuals, we're basically talking about royalties. Right. Correct? Yeah. Um, It's, uh, and so... You know, you get you get money for acting in the movie or the the episode or whatever. But then, anytime it's broadcast, you know, in syndication or it's reshown on cable or whatever, you get you know another check. Mm-hmm. And and unlike you know, kind of the the A listers, a lot of the other actors really kind of depend on this because that's a bigger deal for them. Yep. Yeah, and and I think part of the thing, and and you're right. So residuals are a type of royalty payment, and with streaming, a lot of these uh, TV series have fewer episodes than they used to, so it's harder for the actors to make money right. like per episode. Some of them only have eight or ten, and then they'll take another year to release them instead of the standard twenty-two or whatever was sort of a standard network season of of episodes. Um, and streaming has really kind of changed this. And both sides, well, I'm not going to say they're greedy. I mean, both sides want their share of it because the box office, the actual movie-going you know, experience with theaters has, has gone down um, the last few years. Now, we still have some hit movies every now and then, like you know, Spider-Man No Way Home or Top Gun Maverick, but those are fewer and farther between. And of course, you know, as we know, the superhero movies aren't doing quite as well as they've done in the last mm-hmm. few years. So... That's a big thing that they're fighting over. Um, another one is AI, is the use of AI. And, yeah. you know, both sides are arguing about that on, on and, and I don't fully understand it either, but it's like, what can, you know, can they use your likeness or can you sign away the right for the studio to use your likeness to, for future movies or future projects, especially if they're similar to things you've already done? And that one is, I, I've heard a lot of, when I read review interviews by actors that that's something they're really almost more scared about, I guess, than the residuals Mm -hmm. from streaming. Um, so, well, and the idea here is that, you know, a character in it, I've heard about, uh, that it could apply to, to extras or I don't know. I mean, based on what we've seen in, in some, some films, it would, could apply to actors that have passed away. But the idea is that somebody gets scanned you know, and so their their likeness is is thoroughly scanned into a computer, and then the AI can regenerate a CGI, effectively a CGI character. You know, that's kind of sort of photorealistic, except for the whole uncanny valley thing, right? Mm-hmm. And and then instead of hire more extras or more bit rolls in the future, they can just keep cranking out these, you know, these CGI. That's true. Renderings. Well, you know, but then I've also heard that as in terms of the writer strike, the AI is also a concern in that, well, maybe some of these studios are going to start having AI write the scripts for the shows. Exactly. And the movies, yeah. Which, which leads itself into a lot of jokes because, you know, <laughs> the, cause the, the argument is all, oh, well, how can an AI actually produce the quality and the, you know, the humor and et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. But then of course you can talk about the current quality of, Right. I don't know. I I have very mixed feelings on this because I am completely in favor of a shakeup if it leads to 
something better than what we have right now, just in terms of the, the preponderance of the sequels and the remakes and the reboots and all this kind of stuff. I'm really just feeling, you know, as anybody who's listened to this podcast before knows, I'm super burned out on this stuff. And I don't know. I, I would like to think that, that some of this could lead to some, some positive steps, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, and the, going back to the actors. So Mm -hmm. if their likeness can be scanned and used like in perpetuity on any project, of course that's going to hurt their pay. But if they can get paid each time it's used, that's kind of similar in a way to residuals to to like the royalties for streaming. So Let's say they, they use AI to scan your likeness and your voice and features, and then they just use it without you having to go and put in a day's work or whatever, but you still get paid for it. There may be actors that are like, sign me up, you know, mm. if you can get adequate compensation for it. Um, the writing one is very I, interesting because people are already using that. I mean, people are, the, the things yeah. that chat GPT can come up with, Right. And I, I agree. It's, with you. it's already been a big it's issue. It's already been my, a big issue outside of in my of world, Hollywood, right? In your world, yeah. and in other worlds, and in law, and in business, and you know, academia. Like, it's already a, a big issue. So that one is more than just you know what we see with what the actors are possibly going to deal with in, in as part of their strike. But yeah. yeah, I mean, that would be funny if ChatGPT can just outsmart and outwit all the writers. I mean. Are, are they going to be credited or is somebody going to be credited for typing in the right query <laughs> to chat GPT and they'll be listed as a co-writer or something? I don't know how right. that's going to work. Well, so, so maybe, maybe as an exit question then, and this is of course just wild speculation. Do you think, or how long do you think it will be before a completely AI generated performance wins an Oscar? Oh man. I, uh, I don't know about that. I, I, I mean, are, you still got to hand it to a human, right? You hand the award to a human. I don't know. Um, but if we're talking fifty years <laughs> from now, I don't know. Oh yeah, sure. Fifty years from now. I mean, I'll, I'll be gone. Okay. Okay. But yeah, twenty <laughs> no, fifteen no. I, I don't know. It's a lot of interesting questions that come up, and I guess in a way, AI is maybe sort of a villain, um, which could lead into our. I think that's our, the default perspective, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, your your segue. <laughs> I was doing a segue. This is a Very segue. Poorly. <laughs> oh no! Well, no, I just didn't catch on fast enough. Here you are being all all clever and professional, uh, and I'm just I'm just along for the ride. Mark. <laughs> no, go ahead. So, uh, so speaking of villain AIs, let's talk about the the movie and by extension the franchise that uh, that we have. I don't know. This this was one of the few movies I was genuinely excited to see this year, partially because it's one of the few movies I felt like a count on to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it delivered uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. It's, it's the seventh in the series, but it's not seven, right? It's like Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 is the full title. Yeah, I don't think they um, use the word seven. I keep calling it that, but it's seven is not in the title. Yes, yes. So, so the seventh movie in the franchise, which is pushing 30 years old now, wasn't the first one 1996? 96, yep. Yeah, yeah, still going strong. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the short take on it is that 
it was really good. It's, I wouldn't say it is my favorite. I would not say it is the best Mission Impossible movie, but it is absolutely what you would expect it to be in terms of, you know, if you kind of go into it hoping for a great action movie with lots of, lots of set pieces and, you know, kind of your usual, I don't even know how, how best to, to categorize it. You know, I mean, it's, I think it's better than the James, the James Bond franchise has been. Mm -hmm. It feels a little bit like, you know, it feels a little bit like James, uh, sorry, uh, Jason Bourne. Mm -hmm. Um, in some ways there are some strange parallels to the fast and furious franchise. Like it almost seems to be like a version of fast and furious that is not over the top and tongue in cheek in the same way, you know, take the cars away and, and stuff. And yeah, maybe, maybe it's just because there are a couple of very, very similar scenes uh, that almost seem repeated beat for beat in mm -hmm. uh, the new mission impossible and fast X. But uh, just to set it up, I mean, so it starts starts off with the the villain, the the mysterious villain tricking a it was a Russian submarine yes. right into firing on itself, and uh, the the mysterious villain turns out to be an AI. So it is a it is a sentient AI program, and Ethan Hunt and his crew are sent to find so so it's a literal key i guess there is so there is a a literal physical key that has to be uh used in order to control or to mm -hmm. to manage the ai program uh it is broken into two pieces and one of them Gosh, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, it, it's like a month ago. They call it a cruciform <laughs> key, and because it, it's sort of shaped like a cross, sort of like okay, a three D right. cross, when the two pieces are put together. And I wonder if there's some symbolism there, um, with Think so? Ethan Hunt always being some sort of savior figure, where he has to sacrifice mm -hmm. himself and others to save the world, and now he's out to find a cross shaped key. I don't know if that if that was Maybe. on purpose, but. Yeah. I, well, there is there is a lot of meta content mm -hmm. in this movie. You know, when they when they when other characters describe Ethan Hunt to other characters, there's there's a lot of, you know, because he's he's kind of this, I don't know. I was going to say like demigod, but that's that's not the right term. Just, you know, he's kind of this larger than life character who's just kind of unstoppable and mm -hmm. driven and you right. know, does crazy things and and yet, again, kind of within the bounds of reality, um, or, or at least maybe compared to other franchises. But yeah, so I mean, basically what it comes down to is that that Hunt and company are chasing after the key, and this takes them bouncing around the world to a bunch of different locations um, into some you know real great action set pieces. Uh, along the way, we reconnect with Rebecca Ferguson's character, uh, Ilsa Faust. Uh, we also meet, I forgot her character name. I'm looking over here. Uh, Grace is a, I don't know, just like a really, really good thief. She's played by Haley Atwell. That you might remember from the Captain America stuff. Mm -hmm. um, Ving Rhames, Simon Pegg, they're back. Uh, Vanessa Kirby comes back. 
Palm, is it Clementif? Yeah. Is that, uh, yeah, so from, Mantis. You, you know her as Mantis from Guardians of the Galaxy. She plays an assassin because the AI kind of employs its own henchmen, I guess you'd have to call them, uh, one of which has kind of a distant connection to, to Ethan Hunt's past that they try to bring in. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on. There are a right. lot of characters. I That might be one of the things I think is a shortcoming here. Um and I, you know, I don't. I don't think we're going to do a spoiler-free and then a spoiler review part here. I think we'll just try to keep this spoiler-free for the most part. Yeah. Um, one of the things I was a little conflicted about, because um, the Haley Atwell character seemed to be kind of redundant with Rebecca Ferguson's character, and even though I loved. Haley Atwell's character. Like I, I really liked her. I thought her performance was great. I thought she had some really basically in the process of trying to, to intercept a black market sale of part of the key. Ethan comes across this woman, Grace at an airport. I think they're in Dubai mm-hmm. and, and she kind of, she like steals the key herself. And so she kind of gets caught up in all of this and she's a lot of fun. Like I, I, this is probably the most fun I've enjoyed seeing Haley Atwell in, in any role. But again, she seemed kind of like, well, it seems like she's doing the kind of stuff that Rebecca Ferguson might've done in, in earlier movies. And, and, and let's just say that their, their resolution to this conflict or to this redundancy was one of the things I was most displeased with about the movie. And I'll just leave it there. Okay. I think you could probably, you could probably read between the lines a little bit. Um, but, I mean, outside of that, you know, I mean, we, we know that there's going to be the big, you know, the big Tom Cruise stunt that, that really pays off and is just as incredible as, as you think. Um, there's a great chase through, was, was it Venice? Where, where was it that they have? I think it was. Was it Rome? Yeah. Okay. There's, a, there's an incredible car chase where, where you know, Cruise and, and Atwell get into this little Fiat that uh, I guess it's kind of like an agency enhanced, right? Because it's it's like one of their mm-hmm. one of the IMF's cars, yeah. And and the joke is that he's trying to kind of get acclimated and you know, get up to speed with the new technology. And and that was one of the things that I noticed about this movie was that it was a lot funnier than a lot of the other Mission Impossibles. Yeah. Not 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 to the same extent like like Ragnarok was to the first two Thors, right? But it was there was definitely much more of an effort to be funny and to kind of have a good time with it. Yeah. Um, the, the scene you're referring to, uh, Grace and, um, and Ethan are handcuffed together. And right. so literally they have to stay together. They have no choice. And it's sort of this madcap zany, almost like a classic, you know, comedy duo from the thirties or forties. Um, Cause there's a lot yeah. of humor in that. Um, and, and it forces Ethan to sort of drive and, and with his offhand a little bit. Um, and then you find out one of the funny, I mean, one of the jokes in, in that is that even though Grace, this international, highly skilled thief, can basically do all kinds of things, including martial arts, apparently, but can't really drive very well. <laughs> and, all right. And so it leads to a lot of problems and, you know, like a confrontation with the train and, and a bunch of other bad guys there's multiple people that seem to be after ethan hate ethan hunt and or the key in this movie mm-hmm. um 
but that was that, that's a pretty great scene you know like there always seems to be a some sort of car chase or car slash motorcycle chase in every mission impossible movie at least the last mm -hmm. few um and then we got to talk about the big stunt that was used to promote the movie for the last year, basically, which is the motorcycle. So this isn't yeah. a spoiler either, because if you've seen any I was gonna part say, of the trailer, he, Tom Cruise, not Ethan Hunt, but Tom Cruise drives a motorcycle off a cliff and mm -hmm. has a parachute, uh, which is pretty amazing. My, my only complaint about that is it almost felt like it didn't feel as organic as some of the great stunts we've seen in the in the last couple of movies, um, like the halo jump or the, um, I don't know, ch chasing the helicopter with the other helicopter in six uh -huh. or climbing the tower, the Burj Khalifa right. tower. I think that this one felt like we want to have Tom Cruise jump off of a, you know, jump off a cliff on a motorcycle and parachute down. And we've got to figure out how to fit that into the story. Yeah, I just, I just, I kind of got that I agree. sense. I agree. A little bit. It, it felt a little bit more calculated. In. Yeah, yeah. Shoehorned. Yeah. No, I, I agree, and that's, that's, that's one reason that I say, I, I loved the movie. It was a lot of fun. I really liked the way that it functioned as a first of two, you know, first part of two, mm -hmm. without just kind of dropping you off in a place where you feel unsatisfied yeah. with the first movie. Like it, it has enough of a conclusion to feel like a concise story on its own with a, with a clear connection to what's to come. Right. Um, like I said, I, I kind of had some issue with the way they handled some of the characters in the movie. Um, and you know, I mean, it's two and a half hours long, just like everything else these days. And it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm banging the same drum again, but yeah. my goodness, Especially when it's going to be the first part of two. Why does it have to be more than two hours? Well, um, they, they. So, so I would, yeah. So I would, and on its own, it's still a very, very good movie. Mm -hmm. It's still an excellent, excellent franchise. I would say that it's not quite as good as some of the other ones in the franchise. But all of that being said. You compare it to, and you know, allowing that I haven't seen Oppenheimer, I haven't seen Barbie. Yeah, I still would put it so far above anything else. Certainly for the summer, if not, you know, this whole year in terms of franchises and kind of your blockbuster style movies, um, it's still the one to go to. Yeah. Um, but but don't think of it as. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it on the same level as Maverick in terms of just absolutely blowing you away, being head and shoulders above everything, but but it's still in the same family. Yeah. What do, how, do you do you agree? Do I you haven't thought think? about that, but I I I mean, as far as the year, because I was thinking of the whole the Mission Impossible franchise where I would try to rank it, but yeah. I think I would put it probably third on my list this year um okay i think i mean this is gonna sound crazy but i really really had a give fun, me the crazy mark i really loved air a lot i had so much oh, fun yeah. in that movie um and it just was tighter and it's weird because it's mostly a movie about just guys in suits talking in rooms i mean it's not mm. exciting at all compared to any of the mission impossible movies but i think i had a more 
enjoyable time and i was swept it's very along. engaging though yeah, it was very engaging it's, yeah. it's a great little story i mean a little story about this little company that could be you know <laughs> nike that because they signed the best basketball player of all time so i for me i think i I'd, I'd slot that a little higher and probably the the spider uh beyond or what's it called across the spider oh, across the spider verse yeah um but other than that, I mean, I think it's, I think the Mission Impossible movie is, is right up there. Um, I, as going back to the ending, I, I was, because of how these movies are so full of these thrilling action set pieces, and knowing that they had divided it into two movies, which wasn't the original plan, Christopher McQuarrie, the director, who's directed the last three and co-wrote the one before that. Right, he, um, right. He said that they were trying to do it as one movie, and they kept just, it just, they were cramming things in. It was getting long. They finally just kind of decided, like they said, why are we doing this? We can do this as two movies. Like we we can get what we want. We can just divide into two movies and not have to feel like we're, we're cramming too much in there. So it, when they originally started this, which was actually four years ago, I think, because a lot of this was shot during COVID, um, they were going to do one movie. So, but But as far as the ending goes, I was I was expecting a literal cliffhanger. I was like, I know that Tom Cruise oh. is going to do this. They're going to have him actually hanging off the edge of a cliff, and the screen's going to go black, and we're going to have to wait a year, right? But no, they didn't. There was a little bit of a mini yeah. resolution. It kind of reminded me of like uh-huh. Dune Part One, um, or like Fellowship of the Rings. Like there's an there's an ending, but not the yeah. ending. Right. Um, and obviously, there's more to come, and we still don't know. I mean, I guess I don't want to spoil it, but there's certain things we don't know that makes it obvious uh-huh. that it's a two-parter, right? That you would know in a normal movie based on the opening, you know, part scenes in the mm-hmm. movie. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was great. I, there's there's actually a train sequence in the movie I really love that's even better, I think, than the motorcycle jump. And I just watched... Now this is... Here's another crazy bit of news for you. I just found out tonight that I had not seen The Lost World Jurassic Park 2 um, which I watched with oh. my boys until tonight. You thought you, thought you had seen it? You assumed you had seen it? I assumed it, I had realized... seen it, and I start watching it, and within 15 minutes, I was just, I, I didn't remember, I didn't recall, recognize anything. I was like, I have never seen this movie. It did get to a scene where I had seen a few minutes. There was a scene where I'm like, I remember this part and only this part alone, but then I realized that it came out on my mission, and I think that might explain it. I just never caught up with it. Um, sure. But anyway, there's a scene in that movie that's actually very similar to a Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 scene. Um, Interesting. Which is, and, and then the boys, as we were watching it, pointed out another movie that it's similar to, which was uh, Secret Life of Pets. So, I mean, this thing has been recycled a little <laughs> bit, this thing. But the way they do it in Dead Reckoning is better than anything I've ever seen. It. And I don't want to spoil well, it. I, I was going to say, yeah. I don't know if you're referring to what I think you're referring to. I think you are. I, yeah, I think. But the thing, well, one of the things that really impressed me, and one of the things I think that that is really indicative of why the Mission Impossible franchise is what it is, is. So you're talking about the conclusion of the train sequence. Yeah, I'm right? basically talking about something that is vertical that like, should not be vertical. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So no, no more. Yeah. No more spoilers okay, necessary. Sorry. <laughs> we're no, we're thinking we're thinking about the same thing. Right, right. And I guess I the way that I would describe it is a lesser franchise would have ended a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. But 
this movie, and, and I don't know if it's credit to Macquarie or, or Cruz or whoever, but they managed to turn it into this hilarious, kind of awesome, it just kind of keeps going. Yeah. And it's kind of one of those, you know, it's awesome that he drove his motorcycle off that cliff and turned it into a base jump. If it's still technically a base jump, I don't know. But that was cool. I think what they did with the train at the end that we're talking about here yeah. is even better. Yeah. So definitely a movie worth going to see in the theater, yeah. I would I would say. Yep. Um, now, now you ranked it against some of the other movies this year, and I think I'm with you. I think I would still put Air above it. I don't know about Spider-Verse. I'm a little bit split on Spider-Verse. Um, I also really still liked that uh, uh, The Covenant, the one about mm. uh, the guy who has to go back to Afghanistan for his, his translator. Uh, now, how would you rank this Mission Impossible next to other Mission Impossible movies? Because we've got seven options now. Right. And, and I think that, I mean, there's, like I said, there's like... 30 years worth of movies to sort through now. And I wouldn't put dead reckoning at the top of the list. Um, but it's definitely one of the better ones, I would say, you know, it's interesting because I, for me, and it sounds like a knock on the movie, but I love the franchise so much. I, I think there's so many great movies in there. I think it's probably closer to the bottom when I'm looking at, think so yeah for me i mean i but it doesn't but like it doesn't to me i agree with you it's still one of the best movies of the year um i think four five and six but especially six are just six is basically like a perfect action movie um and i rewatched that one a few weeks ago and i was just i was laughing out loud i'm, I'm almost incredulously while i was watching it because i had forgotten how good it was and um and i hadn't seen it basically since maybe a year after it came out. It came out in 2018. Um, I, I like that one so much. And to me, that's, that's head yeah. and shoulders above this one. But still, if you're talking about like a five-star versus, a say, a four-star movie, they're very highly recommended, you know? Right. Um, well, and that's, that's the way I see it, is if I'm trying to rank the Mission Impossible movies, it feels like I'm trying to sort through six really good movies to mm -hmm. decide which one is slightly better than the other really good movie. Yeah. And one obvious, you know, one of these, one of these movies is not like the others. Are you talking about two? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two is, Oh, I, you know, and there's, I know that there's nothing unique about this take. Yeah. I, I think that it's pretty much universally maligned as the, the weakest in the series. Um, I'm, I mean, well, for for the sake of anybody who's not familiar with it, you know, the, the first movie, which I would probably also put kind of low on the list, mm -hmm. if only because they were still just kind of getting their feet, you know, under them. Yeah. Um, the first one was directed by Brian De Palma. Very, very stylized. Much, I mean, there was very, there was a lot of action sequences, you know, but it felt more like kind of a cloak and dagger drama you know, than, than some of the later movies. And so I would probably put it lower on my list, but the second one, they brought in John Woo, the, uh, the Hong Kong action director. Um, but 
not the same kind of blood squibs and, and mayhem to the same degree that he had, he was doing previously. And the second one was just so over stylized and silly. And, you know, I think they lost me when they, Tom Cruise and I think it's uh, Thandie Newton is, uh, you know, they're, they're driving, they're in, they're in two different convertibles driving on this high mountain road. And at one point their cars get locked up and start spinning and they're looking they at each slow other. motion shot as they're staring into each other's eyes. And it's just, yeah. just dumb. It's just, it just doesn't work. I, you so, know, so the second one was easily the last one yeah, on the list. I think you're right. I, I don't, I remember I had a buddy who would make fun of that movie. He, he felt that number one was had an overly complicated plot and it was a little hard to follow, which is kind of surprising for the first in a series. But then to sort of overcorrect, the second one had right. a had an overly kind of dumb plot and it was more right. about style than plot. Mm-hmm. Although I do remember there's a pretty... I mean, one of the things Mission Impossible is known for, and this is no different, you get this in the, in the seven, is the face face swapping technology yeah. that they've apparently yeah. always had apparently the imf people have it and no one else in the world is this even close to as good well there was a pretty cool one i remember in the second one and um and and so yeah the plot is a little easier to follow it's got slow motion john woo doves in it and slow motion motorcycle stuff and it's it's not as it's just doesn't feel like part of this franchise in some ways mm-hmm. um but they still got that face swapping thing and i always i don't always oh, fall yeah. for it I, I i predicted the one in the in this last movie we just saw um but you know they they normally have one where like we're we're sort of duped along with whoever the mark is in the uh-huh. movie this mark is duped and the, and the rest of the audience but then we also have one where we see the preparation you know where we see them like deciding how who, who they're gonna portray or whatever and yeah um so I don't know. There's certain staples. It's kind of like a Bond movie. You're right because every Bond movie has their own little, you know, little things. They, the little tropes they do their, in every Bond movie that yeah. almost becomes like, instead of like, oh, this again, this is a retread. You almost kind of look forward to it if it's if it's uh-huh. done well or maybe a slightly fresh take. Um, but yeah, I guess I would agree with you. I mean, I'm not as down on it as most people, but it's. I mean, if I'm ranking like all these great movies and one that's just okay yeah that one is that one's at the bottom um Mm -hmm. and i haven't seen it for a long time but i probably would feel the same way watching it again well the third one in some ways is is always going to be it i might not say it is my favorite or that it is the best mission impossible movie but it is certainly going to be one of the ones i will always be most fond of Mm -hmm. because i felt like that was one of the ones i felt like that was the movie that really kind of kicked the series into gear and, and pointed it in the direction that it is, that it has taken since. Um, I, I also think that it's the, the one that gave us the best villain in all of the franchise. Oh yeah. The, the Philip Seymour Hoffman character is just fantastic. He is, he is so good. He is so good. Um, and, uh, you know, lots, lots of other little, little things. This was the one that JJ Abrams directed. Um, Funny enough, one of my long-standing memories of this movie. So after I had seen it once or twice, I wound up taking a date to it. And the girl I I went to the movie with was a nurse. And she was so offended by 
the conclude the, the movie's conclusion. And I don't know. I mean, I this is one that's what ten to fifteen years old now. Yeah. And so I, I don't want to give away too much, but basically they have one of those moments where somebody has to be resuscitated with the uh, what do they call those pads? The uh, the defibrillator. The defibrillator. Defibrillator. Yeah. Defibrillator. <laughs> <laughs> the the pad things <laughs> and. And she seemed like I remember walking out to the parking lot with her afterwards and she just seemed just absolutely livid because it was not faithful to reality or something. And uh, yeah, so that was that was our only our only uh, date. But uh, well, uh, (laughs) you so I, I mean, let me so with the third, it sounds like you enjoyed that one definitely more than the second one. And you have other memories of it that are maybe like. Make make. I would I would put it over the first two absolutely. Okay, so I was maybe even over this newest one. Yeah, just because there are some obvious flaws with the new one. I mean, I really really like it, but yeah, I was also kind of watching it, thinking, oh, I'm not crazy about this. Oh, I'm not crazy about this. So I was going to ask you if you had any like hot takes, or you had any that were like uh, controversial takes on the Mission Impossible, because I've got one I think on of the franchise, and let's hear it. I think the first movie is the is is on the lower tier, like the lower rung of all of these movies. And sometimes I see people that say it's the best or second best or whatever. It's very, very high. And when you watch it, I mean, this is a franchise that I'm not going to say it's aged, you know, number one is aged badly or anything. I just think that the other ones have gotten so good and they've used their budgets so well in um sort of ramping up the set pieces and like you say the villains and uh i i just think they're better i mean uh, there's there's just so much more to them i agree and and i know that maybe there wasn't the highest budget on it but it's still a, a well-known established hollywood director and a huge star i mean tom cruise made jerry Maguire the same year he made right. um uh, this movie and he had already been a big star i mean he'd been in tons of huge you know blockbusters like top gun and and so i think that um i think that the first one is probably the second lowest on the on the totem pole Um, that's kind of what i was thinking it's just that there is a massive gap between between two and one between the sixth best and the seventh yeah and and there is i would i would almost say that there is a smaller gap between the sixth best and the first best and the sixth best and the seventh best. Oh, okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, because that's what I say. It's one lame one and six really good ones that you're trying to just right figure out where they fall. But I would I would also put the the first one, and you know, and it's not its own fault. I mean, it's it was the first in the series. They didn't know what it was going to be. They were still kind of getting their footing and trying to figure out. Okay, what's what's this about? They were they were creating some of the tropes that they would you know, develop in the years to come. Um, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with saying that it's not as good as the, the later ones, but it's still a good movie. Um, and, and I think part of that is that it was like, it, it just really has a different tone. I mean, four five, you know, five, six and seven, especially, and maybe it's because, you know, it's the same director. They feel very, very internally consistent in a way that the first couple, you know, really felt like 
you know, manifestations of the director who was in charge. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I love, I love four. I thought, you know, the, the Dubai, the Burj Khalifa stunt, you know, where he's out outside and running around and Mm -hmm. doing all that stuff. I mean, that, that might be the most memorable stunt of the whole, the whole franchise. Um, that was the Brad Bird one, right? Yeah, Brad that was Bird, Brad Bird, the, the Incredibles Ford. director. Um, that was his but first. I, but I'll tell you, first live action movie, Brad Bird. Yeah. Well, and I haven't. I would need to watch these again to be sure. But there's a part of me that wants to say my favorite and the best overall is the fifth one, mm-hmm. because now the villain in this one is almost completely forgettable. And as I recall, this is the one where the where the climax happens in a parking garage, which isn't really, you know, so so it definitely has some things that don't measure up to other movies. But the thing I love about the fifth one is that it's the one that introduces Rebecca Ferguson. And what I love about her character is that I feel like she is the first of the female leads because every, you know, whether it's the team or whatever, there's always a female member of the team. But she can never, she's always kind of an appendage. Mm-hmm. And Rebecca Ferguson's character, this uh, Ilsa uh, Faust. Uh, Faust, she's the first one I remember that really feels like she could go toe-to-toe with Ethan Hunt. Mm-hmm. Like, she's she's a peer. She's very intriguing. You know, I think this first thing I saw Rebecca Ferguson in, certainly that I, you know, recognized her as an, as an actress. And I mean, I, I love the way that they use, um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. It's the, the, the famous opera piece that, uh, Pavarotti sings, uh, Nessun Dorma. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'll, I'll let you try to pronounce <laughs> it instead of me. Um, so yeah, so I, what I love about five and six is that I feel like her character adds something to the franchise that they didn't have before, which was not just a love interest, not just a female character to be part of the team, you know, cause the other movies all have, you know, uh, Paula Patton was in the fourth one and, um, you know, in the third one, um, I forget the actress's name, but I mean, Rebecca Ferguson adding her to the mix was just, I thought, great it was just awesome yeah so yeah no i i like that take because i um like going from two to three it's a hugely different story there's different characters but what we do is we start to get a continuation of characters like simon Pegg. he appears in three mm-hmm. michelle monaghan yep. who plays julia his his wife you know and and then and then throughout four five and six there there's a continuation of the story with right. some of these characters recurring and then the villain even kind of repeat is similar from four to five yeah. with Solomon Lane. But, and that's, he's one, okay. that's one thing I expected with seven that's different is some of these, you, we don't see some of these people uh, other than his team. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Faust, you mentioned Ilsa Faust. We don't really see some of these. And I, that's why I kind of wonder if there is going to be a surprise in dead reckoning part two. Where, oh, yeah. where we'll see somebody maybe from one of these earlier ones because the, the, who do you think they're going to bring back well 
I I don't know. I mean, I know that I I wouldn't be surprised if we see Julia. I know she's happy and she's got a good life and she has a new life. Right. You know, um, uh, she knows Ethan's out there protecting her in in a weird kind of distant, indirect way because um, of what. You so know, so did they six. get divorced then? Well, I I guess so because she's she's married to Wes Bentley. She's married to uh, yeah a different guy and it's a good guy and it's a good marriage and she's happy and. And that's just the way that they have to do it. So I think I think they do get divorced. Yeah. yeah well, because it was I think um, was it the end of the fourth one or the fifth one where they're in Seattle and Ethan sees her at a distance walking into some coffee shop with a guy. And I think it was it was right after he had the conversation with Jeremy Renner, where Jeremy Renner, his character, finds out that. That's not really responsible for his wife's death. It was all a setup to that would to be the fourth to hiding. Yeah, that would be Ghost yeah. Protocol, the fourth one. Okay. I don't think okay. Renner's in the fifth one. So you're you're right. I mean, the end of the third one, it looks like he's going to ride off into the sunset with her, and everything is going to go well. Yeah. And they're going on their honeymoon, but but then well, because I I guess I thought that so at the end of the fourth one, I got the impression that okay, so now I guess she's just like in witness protection or something, but then in the sixth movie. Well, now she's with some other guy being like a a, a, a doctor out in the middle of... Right, I, but, where, but we don't know that. Nepal and or something. I think that's what makes that part so cool because he, he doesn't know that. <laughs> like even even Ethan doesn't know that. I think being the Bing Rings character, Luther, knows yeah. more. He has some sort of connection or ongoing connection. But because of where they happen to be, and Solomon Lane apparently sets it all up. I feel like we're spoiling a lot of Fallout, but I mean, it did come out five years ago. <laughs> I don't really like to spoil it because that's that's the one movie out of all of these that I really like want people to see. But then it doesn't really make as a ton of sense if you haven't seen like at least four and five and probably three. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. I mean, if you're just gonna if you if you don't want to watch every single movie in the franchise, I would say start with three and just go mm-hmm. to six, you know, or maybe four and go to six. But I, at least I do like this sort of rather than just separate you know, separate sort of episodic. I like that this is a continuation. It's like a serial, you know, storytelling uh, thing. And right. I, so um, in a way that makes sense too. It's not just like we have to bring back people because we have to, and then they don't develop anything with them. Um, but yeah, I mean, and anyway, I feel like I'm kind of repeating myself, but no, that's, I, honestly, I would, that's, that's something I hadn't really, I think I had recognized it subconsciously, but hadn't really considered was that just like you say from, from basically the, you know, the fourth movie on, they started keeping some threads going mm-hmm. in a yeah. way that the other movies were much more disjointed and, and independent. And, and that's, you know, that's fun. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, you know, I mean, the, we, we're not looking at, incredible character arcs here but you know it, in the fir- in the the third movie Simon Pegg was just you know he was he was the guy in the chair is the mm-hmm. the 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 way that we describe it right is uh yeah like the, the tech the tech guy but then was it the fourth or fifth one because his first mission was when they were in the Kremlin right was that the fourth one that where, was the fourth one I think yeah and they have to go in there and uh and so he's he's out on his first mission and stumbling around like crazy and you know because he was kind of the 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 humor the comic relief then mm-hmm. um, 
and maybe maybe that's what's different about the seventh one is that it, that Tom Cruise himself seems to be more involved in 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 the comic relief in a way that we haven't seen before. Yep. But no, it's a good. I I have a hard time thinking of a more consistently good franchise mm-hmm. than the Mission Impossible franchise. I mean, there are there are others that have movies I like better, but in terms of just like quality from from film to film, that one's up there, man. And I I don't know. Yeah, and I would say not just I mean, other than maybe Police Academy, right? (laughs) Yeah, I would say not just consistently good, but even beyond that, like getting better and better. I don't know of any franchise other than the seventh one, but like to me, six is a little bit is is better than five, which is a little bit better than four, which mm-hmm. might be the three best. I don't know. Like they melt four, five, and six may be the three best in the franchise, and so, you know, like I, I that's what's been so impressive to me about it. And and I hadn't even generally seen these in the theaters. I wish I'd seen six in the theater, but um, I was oh, glad no, to didn't. see seven in, in the theater. Yeah. So I'm hoping it can it, they can really kind of. Um, I don't know. Sort of stick the landing, refine, re, re, regain the footing, and stick the landing. You know, for this for this last one, because some people have thought this would be a sort of send off to Ethan Hunt, and maybe he's maybe he's even going to die. But in some interviews with Macquarie and Cruz over the past few months, I mean, they've stated that there are plans. I don't know how, like that, to continue it, like to continue Ethan Hunt in the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of where that they're doing this two-parter because I don't know what they're going to do with eight, nine, ten, or or whatever, you know. But yeah. um, well, I think, I think part of it has to do with how well it was... does, right? Because sure. this one is underperforming. Sure. If the next one underperforms, almost to the point where maybe they're losing money, then maybe they, you know, maybe there's not going to be a continuation of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the movies have generally done a little better too, box office wise. Although they haven't been like massive blockbuster hits, you know, like top movie of the year type of thing. Um, But this one is definitely not doing as well. And maybe some of it has to do with some of the other movies we've mentioned this summer coming out. Um, Well, I know that the timing with Oppenheimer had created some problems mm -hmm. um, just because of because they're both IMAX movies. And I think that there's only a certain limited number of screens. Yeah, and and I think I can, I'm trying to remember if Oppenheimer came out one week or two weeks after Mission Impossible, but I know that there was some, uh, some some tension about the idea that Oppenheimer was going to kick Mission Impossible off those IMAX screens. Yeah, relatively soon after its release. I think um, it was a week. So some of the some of the behind the scenes drama right i think it was a le- about two weeks but maybe because of the early week release date it was about a week and a half because yeah. um 23 yeah i think it was yeah it was it was around then but you're right i think that i think oppenheimer which had a wider opening i mean had a had a bigger opening in terms of the, the dollars and the tickets sold um which was a little bit surprising for a three-hour biopic that's rated R right. versus a Tom Cruise movie, especially based on what we saw last summer. Um, yeah. I thought it was surprising, and I, it probably deserved more. I mean, even though I've I've been like 
you know, sort of poo-pooing this movie in relation to the other Mission Impossible movies, I still think it's a great movie and it deserves an audience. So, mm-hmm. yeah. No, it's it's one of the few franchise blockbuster movies I've seen this year that feels worthy of that title. Mm-hmm. And would that I would say, yes, go see this in the theater, go see it in IMAX. This is why we go to see movies. Um, even even if it's not the best of its own franchise, I still think it's the best, you know, Hollywood offering. And I don't know. I mean, because I am I'm really looking forward to the second Dune movie. Um, I know there's a couple more coming out this year that I was that I was interested in. Um, it seems like we've already kind of passed a lot of the. I mean, certainly the the comic book superhero movies for the year. Um, the Marvels, I know, is still coming out later this year. Uh, well, I mean, probably the farthest thing from a superhero blockbuster franchise. I'm, I'm still looking forward to the, the new Carney movie that you saw at Sundance. So, oh yeah, that's 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 probably the single one that I'm I'm most excited to see this year, that uh, yeah. remaining. But I mean, what what am I not thinking of? What else? Well, is for me, I I think the one I'm most excited to see. Besides, well, I want to see Past Lives. I, I do plan to see that in the next little while, which is a South Korean sort of long. Yeah, I've I've also heard good things movie. about that. I I think is Killers of the Flower Moon, which is going to be right. in theaters in October, and then Apple TV okay. sometime after that. Um, and then there's a movie by David Fincher called The Killer with Michael Fassbender, which is based on a French graphic novel that looks good, and okay. I I've enjoyed a lot of Fincher movies. Um, now, didn't you also say that there was going to be a, a, a second Wes Anderson movie this year? Yes, but I found out that it's more of a short film. It's a it's oh, on Netflix, okay. and it's like, I think Wes Anderson said it's going to be 37 minutes, so it's almost more like an episode, which makes sense because okay. it's based on a short story called The Wonderful Story oh. of Henry Sugar um, that I just read earlier this year. And so I don't even know if that counts as a movie you know, like, like Asteroid City. Sure. For me, anyway, it'll be better than Asteroid City, but I was going to say, let's, um, let's hope it's better than Asteroid City. Uh, yeah. So there's, there's a lot that are still, still coming out, but, um, I do plan to see Sound of Freedom and Oppenheimer and, and probably Barbie. I mean, it's, it's a phenomenon right now and it's taking over (laughs) the world apparently. Um, and and what choice do we have? Well, to, but to succumb as, to our plastic doll overlords. I mean, as far as my interest level of all the movies in theaters right now, it's not. It's really not that high on the list, and that no, I shouldn't be super not. surprised because I'm. I'm looking at like the way the audiences have skewed for Oppenheimer and Barbie, and they're both around like sixty-five percent ish. Like Oppenheimer sixty-five percent men, Barbie is sixty-five percent women. It's yeah. number is very close to that, and large groups of women went and saw Barbie this past weekend and were posting about it on social media. And it has just been doing huge business way bigger than I yeah. thought. So I think I, I had heard last and you know, this we're recording this on a Wednesday night. Um, I think it's a, it's past 400 million globally mm-hmm. so far. Um, no. And, and maybe this is worth mentioning just for a little behind the scenes. Um, so I, part of the reason, not all, but part of the reason I didn't see Oppenheimer was because, 
uh, I left town the day of the press screening. Uh, they did not have a press screening in Salt Lake for, for the Utah critics for Barbie at all. Hmm. And maybe this is just spiteful of me, but when a big movie, you know, certainly I think we call Barbie a big movie when they don't give us a screening, I kind of feel like, well, fine nuts to your movie then if you're not going to take the time to show us your movie then you can eat my shorts and, <laughs> and so part you know largely for that reason uh, other than just kind of not being you know that interested i mean it, it seems like it's kind of a clever idea it also seems like you know i mean i have a bunch of nieces but it doesn't seem like this is aimed at them at all mm-hmm. it seems like it's more aimed at adults but uh yeah, so I, I don't know if I will go out of my way to see Barbie uh, just because they didn't think I was important enough to give me a press screening. So nuts to you guys. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Margo. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Um, so, yeah, so over the next few weeks, we've got a little bit of catch-up to do. Um, we are heading towards the end of the summer and so there might be a few new releases, but there might not be a whole lot. You know what? I just think there is, I know that there's a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, which I believe is animated, isn't it? Have you seen anything about this? Yeah, I've seen the previews for it and it's an animated movie. Right. So I, it's, I don't know, not at the top of my list either, but anyway, any final thoughts, Mark? It's been uh, I would, it's been good. I would back say go you know go see the new Mission Impossible. It's it's worth seeing, but I I strongly even more you know encourage people to see these these last three. I I, ca- I call them the Christopher McQuarrie Mission Impossible movies, um, since he he co-wrote four and then directed five and six and seven. Macquarie um, Impossibles. The Quarry ones, Q. I the think McQuarrie. they call him Q sometimes, but he's, I mean, he's now done several movies with Tom Cruise, and he also helps promote them. And uh, you know, he and Tom Cruise both went and bought tickets for, put it on social media for you know Barbie and Oppenheimer, and sort of the main stars and directors of each of those movies were sort of cross promoting the other ones as well. But I also they're inflating the numbers, are they? Well. I, I don't know. I can't trust those box office numbers. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked it. I mean, it's I enjoy these. And like I agree with you. I, I, I like these better than the Bond movies. I know Bond is a longer, more established, more well-known franchise. It's been around for 50 years, 50-plus uh, years, I guess. We're almost to 60 years now. I but say. I, I think this is a more consistently higher quality. So mm-hmm. leave it I at agree. that. I agree. Okay, and with that, I think we're going to wrap up episode number uh, something or other. I'm not sure. If we're on like 62, 63, something like that. It's been a little while. It's been a little while. We're still trying to get up to speed here. But thank you for listening. Uh, go check out Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. And uh, look forward to our next episode, which I'm sure will cover some fantastic, wonderful stuff. In the meantime, I have been Josh Terry. Mark has been Mark LaRocco. This has been the Utah Film Pod. And uh, thank you for your time. Take it easy. Thank you.